Welcome to the Truth in His Art Beyond, and we are back in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm excited to be in conversation with my next guest, a Philadelphia native who is a versatile trombonist, the founder of the Center City Jazz Festival, and a program director uh, specializing in jazz for the Mid-Atlantic Arts. He's performed with an impressive list of artists, including The Roots, Orrin Evans, Billy Paul, Aretha Franklin, Terrell Stanford, Seal, John Legend, Red Barat, the Teskey Brothers, and many others. Please welcome Ernest Stewart. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the time. I'm glad we were able to chat a few minutes before we got started. I find, yeah, of course. You know, being able to provide a little more context, like you know, it's it's funny, like creatives, artists, their their feelings, their thoughts that go on. It's like, all right, what am I giving here? You know, yeah. but being yeah. that sort of extra context, it's like, man, I barely know what I'm doing. So yeah. I appreciate you making the time. Yeah, it's it's all good. I, I I love talking about music and art and all that. Yeah. So be, before we get into the big crux of the music, the art and all of that work, I want to give you um, the space to, you know, like introduce yourself and, um, you know, share what it was like, like growing up in the Philadelphia area. And I asked that because... Like, I find that people have, like, that bio, and it's like, oh, okay. But how do you really describe yourself? And I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a jazz quasar. It's like, all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've I've been struggling to figure out my my title in this, in this you know, creative uh, or cultural landscape. Um you know, I I began my my um, artistic life as a musician, um, and you know I've I started playing when I was twelve by accident. Um, I, <laughs> I I I wasn't supposed to play the trombone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a trombonist, but I, I I wanted to be a saxophonist like everyone else. Um, like like everyone else. Uh, if you go to any jam session tonight, you will see about 20 saxophone players, maybe one trumpet, <laughs> no trombones. Um, and uh, I basically signed up for the music class without having uh, any plan of getting, you know, a rental saxophone. I just really wanted to take music in in middle school. And um, I basically um, got called down to the front of the classroom by the music teacher after a couple of weeks of not having an instrument. And she was like, man, what are you doing? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was like, well, my my mom can't afford a, a saxophone. And she was like, well, do you want to play one of the instruments in the back. And I said, okay, what you got back there? You know, thinking she had like a trumpet or something. And she said, well, we got a tuba. And I was like, nah, I don't, I'm good. No, thank you. And she was <laughs> like, <laughs> she was like, you know, uh, well, how about a baritone horn? And I was like, what's that? And she was like, it's like a small tuba. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Thank you. And, um, she was like, well, okay, well, how about the uh, trombone? We we got a trombone back there. And I was like, 
nah, I'm good. <laughs> and she was like, well, you got to drop the class and take something else. And I was like, all right, okay, fine, fine. I'll take the trombone, you know, just, you know. So she gave me the trombone. I took it home that night. And, you know, the rest, you know, I've, I, by the time that was in sixth grade, I was 12 years old. And by the time I got to ninth grade, 14 years old, I knew that that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So, so I, I went and got my first job at McDonald's to, uh, pay for trombone lessons. And, uh, yeah. I, I almost want to hear the a McDonald's jingle with like the trombone playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because Popeye's has has the, the trombone fast food market cornered. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. With their jingle right now. So so yeah, McDonald's would be infringing right there. Yeah, yeah, just um, especially with McDonald's in their uh, marketing to the urban demo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, hearing sort of that, you know, introductory and kind of like this wasn't sort of the plan initially. Right. Um, I, I'll say like one of the first times I recorded anything, like having like the handy recorder was around that age, probably oh, somewhere, wow. somewhere between 12 and 14, somewhere in that and having the little handy recorder. And I can remember specifically freshman year in high school going around talking to people i'm going to set the stage I'm, I'm i'm 38 so i was definitely an attitude era kid for like WWE. <laughs> and, um, that was I, a good era yes it was i used to speak in the third person like i was the rock <laughs> so you know where this is going you know where this is going it's not good uh, oh my goodness i used to pull out the mic and it's like so the rob says are you going to be here next semester your grades on point and I was like, what is this after-school special? That was the energy. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I do this to embarrass myself most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's incredible how that, you know, I, I mean, I can't. Starting from from that to where you are now or starting from from what I, I began with, you know, getting the instrument by accident and then doing some of the things that I've done, you know, throughout my career is it's really amazing how those little seeds, you know, can sort of sprout into something really amazing. And even if it's only amazing to you, it's, a, you know, it's nice to look back on it and say, wow, that, you know, some some things were accomplished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Being able and, I, and that's one of the reasons why I have sort of those introductory you know i'm trying to i want to know about like what it was growing up for a person but right. really you know talk about that sort of introductory creative journey you know that's really where it's at like what were right. the formative moments growing up that resonate that, that resonate now that that really popped right. up now and you know for a long time in this sort of podcast journey as i was sharing with you before we got started it, it wasn't doing interviews it was kind of in my small circle of friends we're doing our thing we're talking movies, talking pop culture, and keeping it rolling. Now it's yeah. able to talk with people a la then, not in the third person, not talking like The Rock, not, <laughs> not, not doing the thing, uh, but really trying to, you know, give people space to yeah, share of course. what they got going on. Of course. So, you know, so you you had that sort of period. So talk, talk more about sort of you know, that, that journey, like what was school like after that? Like whether it was sure. conservatory, talk, talk about that. 
Yeah, so once I got to high school and really began taking it seriously, um, you know, I began auditioning for all of the regional bands and orchestras. And, you know, I began, so I grew up in a little town called Pensacola, New Jersey, which is literal, a literal five minute drive to Philadelphia. Um, so very much in the Philadelphia uh, area and region. Um, we, I was going over the bridge for a lot of um, rehearsals and high school jazz stuff, jazz camps and, you know, um, and it was great because I began meeting other weirdo kids who were obsessed with jazz like I was at that age. It was it's such a weird thing to be obsessed with. Me and my best friend used to drive around uh, together blasting my big band music from the- <laughs> you know so it was wild i could only imagine what people were thinking you know hearing this music pouring out of this car and seeing two kids you know it was it was crazy but you know all of a sudden i get to you know after high school i went to temple in philly mm-hmm. um and it was the first time that I was completely surrounded by people who were very serious about, you know, this music and being musicians. Um, And it was incredible, you you know, and it was sort of also my introduction to the music scene in Philadelphia, you know, Um, (laughs) throughout college, I, I, I was getting into a lot of other things and really trying to explore more, you know, outside of, um jazz but you know what does it mean to be a professional musician and i began going out every night with my horn and you know back then we had enough um of a scene to 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 walk around and go hop from place to place to place with your horn and people see you with your horn and they're like yo man you want to play a couple of songs or, you know and i would go out every night and that's what i would do you know i i knew that eventually i'll be out of college and i would have to you know sort of figure out what i was going to be doing yeah. um and yeah eventually I I began playing around, I began working around town because of that. You know, I kind of had it in my mind, like I said earlier about there's no trombonist at jam sessions, 20 saxophone players. You know, I knew that I would be the only person playing trombone at these sessions. So I would also go to jazz sessions, like jam sessions all the time. And because I was the only trombonist there, whenever people would um, need a trombonist for something like corn section work behind an R&B artist or, you know, a salsa gig or anything, you know, they would call me because I was the only trombonist they mm-hmm. knew. I can't tell you how many times people were like, yeah, I just needed a trombonist. You was the only guy I knew. <laughs> like, like the plan is working. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, it was it was fun. I, I man, I played so many salsa gigs around Philly when I was in college. It was it was wild. I, I was doing multiple gigs uh, a week just playing salsa, um, and you know, trying to immerse myself in that sort of gig and and learn how to dance. And you know, it was just it was fun. It was a really 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 fun time, and I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, but at the same time, there were a lot of 
R&B gigs, um, neo-soul gigs. So doing doing neo-soul gigs with with people who to me were stars and, you know, getting around the scene that way, traveling up to New York to do stuff and, you know, getting mixed in with some of the things happening with the roots. And, you know, it, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun around them. So is there is there really a seminal moment that that comes to mind that, you know, I you know, you touched on Temple, you touched on like, you know, being able to do just multiple gigs, salsa, some neo soul stuff, R and B. Um, is is there one that really sticks out that, you know, was very influential in your development as a musician? And, you know, I definitely keyed in on you said the the temple thing where you're around people who are taking it seriously. You sure. Know? And sure. I think being around creatives. Of course. Like, no, I gotta I gotta get my thing on. I can't yeah. mess around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I remember being around my um my trombone instructor and I was like probably in my like third or fourth year in college and it was like, man, if this guy doesn't call me for a gig that he can't make after I graduate, it's my fault. You know, if he can't trust me with a gig, it's it's my fault. You know, and that made me realize that the power to control my career rests with me. It, it, it's in my hands. And, and and it's up to me to say, you know, I'm either going to be employable as a musician or I'm not. You know, um, I'm either going to get out there, hustle, find the work myself or I'm not. I'm either going to put in the work so that people, you know, trust their music with me, you know, and and that was a big turning point. Like once I realized that, it, it was a big turning point for me. And yeah. I began, even though I came in to Temple quite serious about music, it I, I after realizing that, sort of late in my uh, undergrad, I I began to just sort of turn it around. You know, I I I knew immediately that. I didn't have much time left in the protective covering of school and yeah. I would have to, you know, become a musician or find something else to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, using the the bird analogy, you don't want to be an owl that can't spread their wings. You don't want to fall off the tree as an owl. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and that, that led to a really, a really sort of, powerful moment in my education and in my sort of, you know, once I got into my head that this is it, there's no, I'm going to live and die by this thing. Yeah. I like it, everything changed. You know, I began going up to New York a lot more. I've been, you know, hanging out with musicians up there and going around town in Philly. I started running the jam session at this place called Ortlieb's and meeting more musicians and really diving deeply into music and the music scenes and and you know the 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 music com community you know regionally but you know specifically in Philadelphia um actually it led to to me um you know all of my travel into New York led to me um getting my first gig yeah. in New York when I graduated from from Temple and it was this week long engagement, a live recording at the Blue Note uh, Jazz Club in, in New York. And, you know, the person who 
called me for it never even heard me play before but because i was always up there mm -hmm. you know showing you know giving facetime and you know like talking to people they just assumed that i could <laughs> handle the gig so they called me for this live recording um and it was the first paid gig i ever had in new york and it was man there was jazz legends on that recording that I had no idea what I was, you know, that I was playing with these people yeah. at the time. It, it was incredible, a really incredible experience. That's, that's dope. That's dope. And yeah, I, I want to comment on one thing, which I think is really funny. Um, you were describing like just, you know, driving around being a teenager and just like it's just jazz emanating from the car. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't want anyone to ever like hear my headphones come loose when I'm in the gym or have you just hear like a hot bop going. It's like, why is this music from like Batman <laughs> series? Like, what is this? Cause I'll listen to some Charles Mingus. Like, I was like, look, yeah, I, I just, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, it, it being, you, you touched on a little bit earlier. So maybe like over, over time, right. Uh, could you describe like, you know, the Philadelphia jazz scene for just just for someone who who doesn't get it, because I find like, you know, I had an interview last week where someone was talking about the Baltimore jazz scene. And it's like, we have roots here, but people don't talk about it. It's like, oh, it doesn't exist. And then you end up seeing a documentary and it's a very interesting documentary is one side and different communities, different people who are integral to the genre aren't in it. So I like to give mm -hmm. that sort of space of from your vantage point. How would you describe the Philadelphia jazz scene and how have you seen it like kind of transform over the you know time that you've been playing? Sure. You know, Philadelphia historically has had an incredible jazz scene. You know, the the musicians that, you know, have have come from Philadelphia have been some of the most impactful musicians on 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 the scene or in in the sort of jazz canon um you know they call philadelphia the great incubator and i think it's because the way philadelphia sort of nurtures talent at a young age you know it's it's really incredible um i would say that from the time that i began um sort of performing around town, there has definitely been a, uh, a decline in in opportunities um, from, from, you know, given by well-established um, venues that are regularly, um, regularly presenting jazz, mm. you know, jazz clubs, essentially, you know. Um, we've lost quite a few of them over the years, you know, and it's funny because when I was younger, you know, all of the older cats would say, Oh man, you know, there's no place to play now. And all, but compared to what it is now, you know, it's, it was way better, you yeah. know? Um, so, you know, after I, I, I would say that one thing I love about, the current generation of jazz musicians in Philadelphia is that they've had to become very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, 
they've had to use some ingenuity to to create their own scene. They had to construct their own scenes um, and their own places to play and and find, you know. And it's and it's really amazing to watch that that process. You know, resourceful. Yeah, yeah. Being extremely resourceful and 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 making making pathways and lanes for for themselves. Yeah. So as as you've kind of transitioned and added, not necessarily transitioned because you're still performing, but as you've added some of this art advocacy roles, namely, you know, Mid-Atlantic Arts and see what's uh, Center City uh, Jazz Festival. So Center City Jazz Fest, yeah. So 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 talk about both of those and like how like maybe your eye have shifted as being in, you know, the scene, working in the scene, but now being in a spot where you can maybe affect change and support in a way. Um, so, you know, I created the jazz festival once that jazz club that I used to run the jam session in or mm-hmm. leaps. Um, once that closed, it it was dark. It was super dark. And, you know, I was just like, ah, I got to find something to do. And I probably spent a year complaining about it in, in, in a bar, you know, <laughs> with other musicians before, you know, getting to the point where it's like, okay, complaining's done. It's time to do something. But I do think I will say that complaining is a part of the process. That's how you sort of sort out your thoughts or your feelings. And it's like, okay, this is what I like and this is what I don't like about what's happening around town. And then, you know, I think the next step should be, you know, figuring out what you can do. And what I thought I could do was create a jazz festival for the jazz musicians in town. Um, You know, and it doesn't have to be huge or anything like that. It just needs to be effective, and it and it needs to 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 employ a good amount of local jazz musicians and showcase their talent. Yeah. Um, because there are some incredible musicians in town, and you know, at the time there was a big jazz fest in Philly, but they weren't really putting jazz on the main stage, and all the local people were sort of. Uh, put into the smaller venues off to the side. And it's just like, man, how can we just make a festival for these people? Because they are the attraction in my mind. So I created, uh, I, I launched a Kickstarter campaign and created a a jazz festival uh, in, across five venues within walking distance uh, of each other. And, you know, it's just really chaotic, set up where you you get one wristband and can sort of walk around to all of the other venues and all of the music is happening at once and i wanted to create that feeling that for like the little second i felt like i had that i can just walk into venues you know and hear music all the time and bounce from place to place you know i just i wanted to extend that feeling to other people um but through that process of creating the festival, I began working a lot with uh, some local arts organizations, and I began understanding more about the nonprofit arts world. Um, and you know that eventually, after years of running the festival, you know we ran into COVID, and you know it's like, what should I do with my time <laughs> um, now that touring's done? 
Um, and I decided to go back to school um, and get my master's uh, in nonprofit management um, from uh, Columbia up here in New York and really sort of figure out, you know, okay, I've been uh, working with arts nonprofits for for quite a while. And, you know, I want to understand uh, more about nonprofits and sort of, if I can make myself a better resource for those arts nonprofits in Philadelphia that I've worked with often throughout the years in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's been really interesting to now be working for uh, Mid-Atlantic Arts you know, and being able to reach out to some of these organizations and say, hey, did you hear about this opportunity? This is how you could get money. Uh, let me help you find this money. Or, or talking to musicians and saying, hey, did you hear about this grant? You really need to be, you know, looking at this grant and start devising ways to 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 bring, you know, people to information that they need and could be very beneficial for 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 their careers and for their organizations and you know that's that's something that you know i i really love about what i'm doing right now thank you that's that's great and uh, i love i love hearing that like you know it's i i find like maybe over the last few years i think some of the the funding stuff some of those sort of conversations of what do people need how can we help and so on i think too often you get caught in this whole fundraisees or yeah. talking in that way. And it's, it's vague, it's nebulous. And it, you know, people don't have time to try to like, you know, understand some of this stuff. It's like, I need this and I need to work. So can right. someone make this simpler and having someone that's sort of, you know, in the scene that gets it, you know, that's another right. thing that's really important. Like I've right. learned it a few times myself of being in this cross-section or this intersection, because, you know, using those terms, of being in journalists, being in, in a sort of a media artist, journalist, storyteller, all of this different stuff. And it's like, how can I refine this for someone who's coming up behind me? Right. I help provide that sort of lane and that structure of, this is the way you want to go about this, or this is the way that you could go about this. Right. It's sort of that funding. And you know, seeing folks, I'll go out there and check and you'll see someone might do eight podcasts, eight episodes. Right. Right. And you'll see like, oh yeah, they were funded for 65 grand. I was like, hold up. What? How? And yeah. I did 300 last year and you know, yeah. so I can imagine that sort of frustration. And I like that other thing, right? Just part of the process is complaining. I love that. Um, yeah. Because I think you're able to identify what it is. I think it has to be strategic in a way like all right what is the right. next step what are you going right. to do from that point or is it just the same complaint it's like the um it's like that hannibal burris joke when he was talking about younger comedians these young cats man and it's like come on <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know eventually it's like what are you going to do what are you going to yeah, do to exactly remedy your situation exactly and i think you know First of all, I think you said the right thing, you know, re refine the process for other people. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, you can't eliminate this process of grant writing and all of this stuff, but you can refine it and you can say, look, 
on my end, let me see how I can make this a smoother process for people who are working and who are doing other things, you know, um, you know, and can't com commit the chunk of time needed for many of these grant applications, mm -hmm. um, you know, and how can we streamline this for the people to, so that the right people are getting the funds. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I think complaining about things is, man, it, it, you can be strategic about how you complain because there's a lot of good people out there with good ideas and you start complaining to to them and they see it from a completely different, you know, they, they agree with your complaint, but their, their complaint is slightly different than your complaint. And you're like, Oh, I never thought about this issue, you know, in that, in that way. So it, it's really, it's really interesting. I think to, to share that sort of communal complaint and issues and really sort of commiserate with everyone and, and, and see what what you can um, create out of that. Yeah, you know, it's getting a sense of like, what are you experiencing? Let's you know commiserate. Exactly. Right. What are you experiencing? And you know, how can we come through it? And I I think here locally, you know, we had this sort of you know grant situation that worked out really well. It's just like an artist grant, and a lot of those sort of barriers that were there, that you know, where people aren't completing the application because. The, per the percentage or the requirements that you touched on is, is a bit much, you know, like, okay. hey, I need you to come to 10 sessions that are three hours long. It's like I'm working and I'm making art. So yeah. it's hard to do like all of that. Right. At the end of the day, it's like, and here's your thirty five hundred dollars. It's like, what? You know, yeah. what, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think there is, you know, some some sort of. The idea is that if we can educate you on how to do this, you know, I think the intention behind some of it is good, yeah. but the reality is, is that, look, I'm out here hustling, you know, I can't commit this much time to something with this little payoff, you know, I mean, it's just like, it doesn't equal the same, you know, it's, it's like maybe that organization, you need to point out how effective this thing is going to be that we're asking you to do and how this is going to impact your career. Yeah. So yeah, at the end of it, you're only getting $3,500, but you're going to learn something and meet a cohort of individuals that are going to change your life. Yeah. You know, and if that's the case, then sure. You could keep the money if I'm going to, you know, like, don't keep the money. I'm, I'm playing, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it, it could be extremely powerful if you can, can convey, you know, effectively convey, um, what these, what the individual is going to gain yeah. from, from participating in, in, and what you're offering. And that's something that I, I go through pretty regularly at Mid-Atlantic Arts now, where I have to build the programming, you know, around people who don't need to be there, you know, or around the needs of people who don't really need to be involved. So how can you get them, you know, excited about what you're, you're doing or what you're offering, yeah. you know, because it's not me saying, here's money, it's I'm gonna show you how to get that money, you know, and, but if you do this, it's going to really help your career, 
you know, because what I see is that there's a lot of people like the same people uh, get get money, get get the grants, you know, and there's a ton of talented people out there that are, you know, that process is so opaque to them and they don't understand it. And they're just like, nah, I'm just going to be out here gigging. And you're like, yeah, you can still do that. Trust me. But there's an organization over here who's going to give you $15,000 to go on a tour. Why wouldn't you at least make some attempt at this, you know? And it's like, how, how can you reduce those barriers? And, you know, and again, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to give you money to participate in this summit that I might have, but I just, I, it's my job to show you that the value of you attending the summit is, is extremely high. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's great. Thank you. So I got one last real question Yeah. Okay. before I get into the rapid fire questions and in, in a sentence or so. And, and what what would you say is the, the biggest way that jazz has performed your that has transformed not jazz has performed that jazz has transformed your life? Yeah. It's giving me community, mm. you know, yeah. and yes, immediate community in Philadelphia or in New York, regionally, but it's giving me a global community. Yeah. I can walk into a jazz club and in Belgium, you know, play now's the time. Yeah. And and I'm I'm with my comrades, you know, with my brothers and sisters. And we are a part of the same community. And we speak the same language, even if we don't speak the same language. And I think there's something just downright beautiful about that. You know, and I'm extremely appreciative of that. And it shrinks the world in a way that is I wish that everyone could experience, you know. So that's that's kind of the, the real pod. Now it's time to get weird. It's kind of trying to time to get <laughs> rapid fire stuff. Uh, cool, cool. And um, so I got mm, I got five of them for you. And uh, don't overthink them. Quick answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you were not a musician, what would you be? If you did, were not music at all, a photographer. Okay. Um. What makes jazz, let's say, macroly speaking, not purely the music, but the the sort of jazz macroly speaking, what makes it so unique? Improvisation. Okay. Love improvisation. Uh, (laughs) Do you prefer to start your day with tea or coffee? Coffee. You get it. You get it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Actually, I have have six of them. I have another one for you. Uh, What is your favorite color combination? I'm just going to go with black and white. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what is a jazz thing that you say too much? Um, this, there's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've already said said cats a couple of times. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was hoping for that one actually. <laughs> definitely, you know, if I'm talking about money, I'll talk. I'll I'll, I'll say bread. You know, and like people are looking at me like, what did you just say? And we're gluten free, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, You're man, where's the bread? Did you get the bread yet? It's like, nah, oh I, don't, I don't know. You talking about my guy. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely cats, though. Cats, yeah. I think I use that all the time. Yeah. Just people. Are so cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, this is this is the last one. This is the last one. Um, and I think a good follow up. Uh, I remember uh, back in um back in high school, we had a lot of um we had a really musically inclined high school. I you know hung out with some of the the musicians there, and there was a lot of um trombone related humor. <laughs> so do you have any trombone related jokes or, or humor or puns anything that comes to mind oh my goodness uh-huh <laughs> why are you gonna make me do this um uh, all right this is messed up i should not be making jokes at my own expense or at the expense of trombonists worldwide um <laughs> what's the difference between a trombonist and a piece of pie. What's the difference? Like a, a a a pizza. Yeah. What's the difference? A pizza could feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! It's, it's incredibly spicy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's dark. It's dark. It only gets worse from there, folks. <laughs> That's great. Trump being a podcaster. <laughs> oh man, that's that's one of the best ways to end a podcast. Um, so one, I want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. This has been uh yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure to meet you for sure. Likewise. Um, and secondly, I, I want to, you know, again offer up the space for you to you know share with the fine folks, the listeners, where they can check you out, um, more about your work, uh, your website, social media, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Sure. So check me out at only Ernest, E-R-N-E-S-T, because I'm probably the only Ernest that you or anyone knows. Um, <laughs> I don't know why my name is Ernest, but you go to Instagram <laughs> and find me at only Ernest. Um, and yeah, as from there, you could get to any other pertinent information. But uh, yeah, and if you're if you're in the Mid Atlantic region, check out Mid Atlantic Arts website. You know, it's 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 really informative, and there's opportunities for artists and uh, organizations. And yeah, it's it's a really informative place for sure. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Ernest Stewart for coming on to the podcast, and I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. 